Hello and welcome to Watch It Baptist Church Online. My name's Mike, I'm the pastor of WBC. It's great to have you with us. You're joining us for the third in what's probably gonna be a six part series, looking at the purpose and work uh, and the character of the Holy Spirit. The idea of looking at this series isn't so that we can radically change the way in which we do our um, Sunday gatherings uh, or the way in which we host our prayer meetings. It is instead to look again and invest in what the Holy Spirit is like, what we understand of him from the Bible, and how we might reinvigorate the ways in which we include him in how we serve and how we worship. We're going to be looking this time at how the Holy Spirit directs and challenges and promises. But before we start, let's pray. Holy Spirit, give us an understanding of your power. Give us a willingness to hitch ourselves to you and go wherever you take us, even though the ride might be wild and unexpected, and even though there might be mystery. Give us courage to follow where you lead. Amen. Okay, so we're in uh, part three, our third tour of the Bible, looking at the Holy Spirit. We are this time looking at the way the Spirit directs, challenges and promises. Let's start in the Psalms. We said last time that it's important that we remember the way in which the Spirit is active in the Old Testament, even though so much of our understanding comes from the New. So let's begin in Psalm 143. Uh, I'm in verse 8 as I begin. Show me where to walk, for I give myself to you, says the psalmist. Rescue me from my enemies, Lord. I run to you to hide me. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. May your gracious spirit lead me forward on a firm footing. Those verses remind us that the spirit directs us when we listen. There is a tension that I feel is present for many of us who follow Jesus. And it's something like this. We are confident that God has the power to make the right thing happen no matter what. And it's true, he does. But we also read from scripture that there are moments when people's bad choices get in the way of what God might have wanted to do. This is the thing about free will. We are capable of spoiling what God has intended. Very often, we don't really realise that's where we're going, but we can do it anyway. Now, what does this mean in the context of this verse? Well, this Psalm 143 verse says, Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. May your gracious spirit lead me forward on a firm footing. There's a recognition there that the psalmist is saying, this is something that I am choosing. I am saying that I want to go where the spirit leads and that I will have a firm footing if the spirit takes me forward. The risk otherwise is that we set off to do something believing that it's the right thing to do, but not actually knowing that it is, because if we haven't let the Holy Spirit guide us to it, we've just sort of said, well, this feels like a good idea. Now, again, there's complications there. I know that I've prayed before, and, and I'm confident this is okay, that 
I'll say to God, look, the, the best thing I can think of to happen is this, so I'm going to pray for this. But I'm also going to pray that if I've not understood the right thing, that you do what you need to do because I might have misunderstood. So our ability to pray for something specific and on purpose is important, and it's good that we do it. But also, we need to only go where the Holy Spirit would guide us to go. And this is what's happening here. To teach me to do your will, for you are my God. May your gracious spirit lead me forward on a firm footing. So the Spirit directs us when we listen. And of course, if we're not listening, it's very hard to hear what the Spirit is directing us to do. Secondly, and we're in John 16 for this. When the Spirit of truth comes, this is Jesus talking to his disciples on the night he's arrested. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. All that belongs to the Father is mine. And this is why I said the Spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. So there's a confidence in that. We ask the Spirit to tell us, to reveal to us what's true or best or right. We can be confident that when he does that, he is dependable. We worry, don't we, so much about whether the thing that we're thinking is something that just we're thinking or whether it's something that God is saying. And when we get into that situation, it's good to, to get together with others and pray together, to seek the Holy Spirit's guidance together. And it's important in this situation and all the way through this series and all the way through this particular tour that we don't separate these understandings of the Spirit from each other. So the Spirit directs us when we listen and the Spirit will guide us to what is true when we listen. It can be very easy for us to distract ourselves with um, excitement or frustration or anger or some other kind of desire. Our emotions are very good at telling us what's going on inside us. They're good at helping us to recognise what what's driving us and, and the things that we care about and that's good and we shouldn't downplay the value of the emotions that God has given us at the same time we need to be aware that when we leave with our emotions quite often it's hard for the Holy Spirit to, to make himself heard because we're listening to our emotions more than we're listening to the Spirit so the Spirit will guide us to what is true and will guide us when we listen Thirdly, and we're in Acts 10 for this, the Spirit's challenges. In this instance, I want us to particularly be aware of the way in which the Spirit challenges deeply held assumptions. So Peter went up on the flat roof to pray. This is in Acts 10. It was about noon and he was hungry. But while a meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the sky open and something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. In the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles and birds. And then a voice said to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat them. No, Lord, Peter declared, I have never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure and unclean. But the voice spoke again, do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. So Peter experiences this trance and in this trance, the spirit speaks to him. We know the spirit is speaking to him because Peter then goes on to explain later on when he's having to give an explanation for his behaviour explains that God has been speaking. You'll find that in Acts 11. Just keep reading from where I started and you'll get the whole story. Some of it's a bit of repetition, but Peter needs to explain to the guys back at Jerusalem 
why he has been spending time with Gentiles and telling them about Jesus, because they weren't prepared for that. So Peter is having his assumptions challenged, and then his experiences challenges the assumptions of the others who are at the church in Jerusalem. The assumption is Gentiles don't get to be part of the Jesus people. They don't get to be followers of the way because they're not Jewish. And the Spirit explains to Peter that he's misunderstood this and explains by means of this trance and the things that happen while the trance is happening. So this lowering down of the sheet and all these different animals. Now, the reason why this is important and tricky is because Peter would have grown up knowing what the rules were for what he could and couldn't eat. They would have been as much part of him as anything else. He probably wouldn't even remember the first point when he was introduced to these rules. They just were always, always there. These rules had been in place about what you could and couldn't eat since the Exodus, since the time when the Jews left Egypt. There were things that you could eat and things that you couldn't eat. And God had been very clear about these in the law that he'd given. So if God had been so very clear, what on earth is the Holy Spirit doing saying, no, actually, those rules don't apply anymore? The Holy Spirit says, if God says something's okay, then it's okay. Even if that goes against everything that you assume is right and good. And how hard is this for Peter? How tough is it for him to get his head around this? Years, not just for him, but for the people of Israel, years of assumptions about how things are supposed to be and what God wants are changed by this moment. The Holy Spirit challenges our assumptions, even the ones that are really deeply held. And this is, of course, really tricky because sometimes we might feel challenged and say, well, actually, it's important that I'm faithful to what I know. And sometimes we feel challenged and that is the spirit saying, that assumption that you've got, let's deal with that. In getting that right, we need to recognise that wisdom is a hard thing. And that the listening to the Holy Spirit part is so essential which takes us back, doesn't it, to the Spirit will guide us towards what is true and the Spirit directs us when we listen. And that we are much better off doing this together than on our own. When we're together, it's perhaps, we're perhaps in a better position to avoid that situation where our emotions or our assumptions get to be heard first. When we're together with people that we trust, my hope is that we're able to talk about what we think, even if it's different from what our friends think. That we can disagree on stuff and actually progress together with that disagreement, rather than having to say, well, we're not going anywhere until we've chosen which one of these we're going to have, and we kick out the other one. Peter had the most deeply rooted assumptions challenged. The Spirit will do that to us too, unless we somehow think that we're better than Peter. Stop number four on our tour today uh, about the Spirit directing, challenging and promising is from Romans 8. I'm going to start with verse 9. It says this. You are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember, those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. 
So the Spirit is the only way to know God's will. Actually, in my notes, I've said, uh, I suggested that I go back and look again at Acts 10, which we've just looked at, because of the importance of that challenging assumptions thing. The only way Peter could know the right thing was because the Spirit was guiding him towards it. And Paul, writing to the church in Rome, says, you're not controlled by your sinful nature, you're controlled by the Spirit. So listen to what the Spirit has to say, and let the Spirit be the, the one who shapes what you think and what you do. Don't be controlled by your sinful nature, because it, it will direct you to the wrong platform, and you'll get the wrong train to the wrong place. Stop number five. The Spirit teaches more than just adding knowledge. So I mean 1 Corinthians 2 for this, and we're looking at verse 12. Uh, we have received God's Spirit, not the world's Spirit. So we can know the wonderful things God has freely given us. When we tell you these things, we do not use words that come out from human wisdom. Instead, we speak words given to us by the Spirit, using the Spirit's words to explain spiritual truths. Now in Romans 8, which is the previous stop on our tour, and here, Paul is really keen to keep referring us back to the role of the Holy Spirit in the church, the role of the Holy Spirit in the individual, and the idea that our spiritual selves are the version of ourselves that the Holy Spirit is in contact with and communicating with and, and um, growing and guiding. So the Spirit teaches us what is true. We've covered that earlier. Um, with what Jesus said in, in John 16. Uh, but what Paul says in addition to that is that we can know wonderful things. So it's not just about we can increase our knowledge, it's actually we can know an experience of the wonder of what God has given. And Paul goes on to explain the difference. He says, when we tell you these things, we do not use words that come from human wisdom. So in other words, we're not just accruing understanding like a philosopher would. We're not just building an education like a, like, a, um, like a Greek aristocratic child would be taught in education. That's happening, but we're not just doing that. We're also making room for the Holy Spirit to breathe wonder and breathe power and breathe uh, a sense of gratitude for what God has done. Those things are being breathed into us by the Spirit. Not because human wisdom doesn't have its place, but because the Spirit brings us something that's different from that and valuable in its own way and better. And we need to be cautious, as I've said before, that we don't consider discipleship to be just the case of adding knowledge or understanding. Sort of, you know, ad nauseum, you know, forever. I had a, I'm sure I said this before, a pastor friend, who's now a chaplain, uh, and I remember him saying that he had become sorely tempted by his church as it talked, as those in the church talked about what they wanted from church. He was very tempted to say to them, I'm going to stop preaching for six months because you don't need to learn anything new. You need to apply what you've already been taught. And he wasn't particularly saying that he'd been a wonderful teacher, but he was saying these were people who'd been Christians for a long time. They'd been being disciples for ages and their priority was still to add more knowledge to be further educated rather than to actually live and breathe through the spirit's power the things that they had already come to understand 
we could spend forever looking again and again at gospel stories or, or um, letter writers, epistle writers, and, and never actually develop in our character or, or be formed any more in our spiritual life than we already are. That's a real risk. And Jesus alludes to the same thing. Again, in John's Gospel, he says to the Pharisees that he's frustrated because they search the scriptures as if, as if the words themselves have the power to give eternal life. And he was like, here I am standing right in front of you. I give eternal life. And the relationship with me is, is way more important than whether you understand what all the words say. Not that understanding the words is unimportant, but as I said before, we are followers of Jesus. We're followers of the man. We're people of the Messiah. We're not called to have a relationship with the Bible. We're called to know and cling on to Jesus. And our sixth stop on our tour today, the Spirit is a deposit or a guarantee. And I'm dipping into 2 Corinthians 5 and Ephesians 1 for this, and I'll be brief with both. We want to put on our new bodies, writes Paul, so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. God himself has prepared us for this, and as a guarantee, he has given us his Holy Spirit. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised, and that he has purchased us to be his people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. So what Paul is telling us is that the Holy Spirit in our lives is... You know, a, a source of power and a reminder and a speaker of truth but in addition to those things the spirit being present in us is also a reminder and a promise it's like a down payment jesus says i've got you you know i i have got you and i'm going to take you home we haven't quite got to the point where that's all happened yet but i've put the down payment down and so that's guaranteed and the spirit being with you is your evidence of that down payment it's a maybe for some of us a bit of a funny metaphor to use but for paul it was an important one this guarantee this deposit this way of understanding it the spirit is god's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people it's that kind of talking that gives rise to this idea that our salvation is like a ransom um, it's, it's the way C.S. Lewis describes it with Aslan in, uh, in The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. Uh, the Holy Spirit then isn't just about teaching us or leading us or providing power, but it's also about a reassurance, a promise that will be fulfilled. Let's pray and then we'll ask questions. Holy Spirit, help us to see you at work in our lives and all the different ways that you work help us to see you as multifaceted doing different things in wonderful ways help us to accept the challenge that you bring help us to follow the leadership that you bring help us to accept and be encouraged by the guarantee that you bring help us to be confident because of who you are and what you are doing in our lives and in our church. Amen. Okay, question one. What are the challenges that the Spirit is bringing you just now? What are the assumptions that he is asking you to reconsider? Or perhaps, if it's easier, what assumptions has he challenged you with in the past 
that you can now see that you needed to have challenged. If none of that makes sense to you, perhaps it's good to go looking for others who can tell you about their experience of the same thing. And perhaps it's worth praying, asking the Holy Spirit, that he would challenge any assumptions that need challenging to. What are the assumptions that you are being challenged on or that need challenging? Question two, do you ever thank God for the guarantee? Do you ever turn back to Jesus in the morning and say, thank you that I can be assured that you have me and protect me and take me home? The reason why you ask this question is because if we do, let's share the impact that has with others. Let's talk to other disciples and say, look, I do this thing and, and it really helps me to, to be rooted in Jesus because I'm confident of the Holy Spirit as that guarantee. And, and if you don't do it, I think it's worth giving it a go and seeing what difference it makes to how we face the world. A lot of us are fearful of things. Maybe not lots of things, but there is fear in how we live. And it would be great, wouldn't it, if we allowed the Holy Spirit to help ease some of that fear, to provide that reassurance that there is nothing the world can sling at us that will stop us from being taken home by Jesus. Question three, do you have an example of how the Holy Spirit has led you or shown you truth? If you have, brilliant. Write it down, write it down now. Just put it somewhere where it's gonna help you remember it. Uh, if you haven't, then perhaps that's something to ask for. Lord Jesus, by your spirit, would you show me some truth that I need to see, something I need to hear or know? Would you lead me in a way that I've not been led before because I want to put my faith in how you lead? Let's think about how we hear, hear the Holy Spirit leading us and telling us truth. Well, that's it for this session. We are halfway through our Holy Spirit series. We're going to be looking at part four next time. It's been great to be with you. I hope to see you very soon. God bless.